welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Valdez. I have the great pleasure today of welcoming someone that I've met just a short time ago, but I really have had a great friendship with her. Uh, Christine Kim is the president of Climb Real Estate in San Francisco. She's really one of the most powerful and prominent female leaders in our real estate industry. Christine, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. So I um, can't wait to get started. Well, yeah, you know, we had a lot of fun. I saw you around Christmas time in San Francisco and a great party that was done there and your offices and it was just a lot of fun. So it's great to catch up again now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting so, times right now, too, in oh, real estate and just in the world, you know, in general. So, <laughs> you know, living through this coronavirus and, you know, how it's affecting the whole globe is you're right. It's interesting times in the world right now. Yes, for sure. For sure. And, you know, it was it was interesting because I was in. High in December. And then I was in Tokyo in February. And both of those times is when they were, I guess, going through it in different phases there. And offices to see how they were doing. Now they're calling me sitting in New York City to see how I'm doing. So oh, it's wow. such a flip of where this, this virus is taking us. Totally. I was actually in, in South Korea and in Japan um, right at the end of January and everyone was wearing masks and I was just like, what is going on? This is ridiculous. I can't understand what you're saying. And now I'm like, we, I need a mask. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> now it's a great commodity. Yeah, exactly. I should have bought some. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Christine, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. You've had an incredible stellar resume and career. And before we jump <laughs> into like sure. all of the, 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 the leaps and valleys of all you've done, I want to ask you, because, you know, this is a global podcast. Everyone's really interested yeah, in, in real estate. And San Francisco is such an amazing market. Can you tell us your overview of the San Francisco market currently? Yeah, I mean, obviously everything is completely halted. Yeah, um, in a normal so market. In a normal market, we can chat about, but you know, um, it's actually still. It was very, very. Um, <clears throat> it was very bullish, and it was it was going in these weird ebbs and flows. But generally speaking, we were still experiencing a ton of um, a lack of inventory, and in San Francisco, there's a lot that is done off market, and you know, I know there's obviously a lot of policy that's been um, been going on around that and on the national scale, but um, it's generally been uh, fairly strong. California overall was slightly on the decline, just maybe two to 3% a year. So um, we did follow that trend line, but our average price and as price and, and inventory and basically just months of inventory has always just been really low. So uh, before coronavirus hit, uh, we were still on a very strong trajectory um, in our low end market and low end for us is, you know, anywhere between 900 to a million one uh, was still moving uh, with a vengeance. But our, our higher end luxury market, you know, over three million was uh, was definitely starting to 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 slow down a little bit. In San Francisco about 20 years ago and it oh, wow. was 
then um, at a market that was so incredibly strong has changed in so many ways. And things that, um, areas that were so, you know, have gentrified now. I mean, I remember things like Mission, you wouldn't even drive down by the Mission. Oh, and yeah. now, yeah. you know, and Dolores Park and things like that. And now it's just amazing to see what, yeah. what's been done. It's crazy. And it's just slowly creeping further and further south, um, you know, closer to where Candlestick Park was. For those, yeah. of, you know, you guys who, you know, who aren't, who aren't aware of it, you know, that's like not even considered the city. And now there's just new, more and more new development that's creeping further south. Just obviously, you know, we're seven by seven, um, you know, 49 square mile city. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of land left anymore. And we are definitely feeling the effects of that. Um, you know, you're talking about 20 years ago and now it's just like even crazier. So. Well, there's a new phenomenon that it's actually, you're, you're starting to build vertically as well in San yeah. Francisco, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's uh, definitely happening with the new development as new development high rises are continuously popping up. Um, you know, again, there's still a lack of land. So you still need to capture that land before you can actually build something. So um, the density of our living is definitely increasing. And um, I think San Francisco is really changing in, in how people live now um, from 20 years ago. So it's, it's been exciting to be a part of that. I mean, I've been here in the Bay Area since 1998. So um, I've seen it uh, not only here in San Francisco, but down the peninsula in the South Bay and Silicon Valley, where we've seen a lot of incredible growth down there as well. There at the same time, I actually moved to San Francisco in 95 and moved out. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, and moved out around 2000, 2001. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I came right out of college and I came to, to Silicon Valley. So I'm <laughs> sure to go in the late 90s. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's funny because we, you know, we just sort of said that you were in earlier and, and I was too just a few months ago. And obviously that's a huge buying group for San Francisco and for West Coast real estate for the most part. What have you done to capitalize on buying base? You know, assuming that it's going to come back once this craziness is over. So in a normal market, what do you do yeah. to capitalize on that? You know, it's, um, there's a lot of different things. So, you know, there is, for me, when I first started in real estate, and that wasn't my first job out of um, college, but when I first started, I really, you know, started to realize that, you know, obviously there's a, a larger concentration of Asian Americans or even Asians coming from overseas. And so, you know, when I first started, it was like, all right, I'll take anyone, right, to be, <laughs> you know, a seller or a buyer when I was selling as a broker. But, you know, as, you know, you start to get your feet wet in the business, you know, you're always hearing, oh, you need to, you know, be able to find a niche or you need to be able to attract, you know, a certain type of, of audience for yourself. And, um, you know, I'm from, I came from the field of marketing before I was in advertising and marketing before I even got into real estate. So, you know, it was really important to me. And I saw it early on that because there was a large concentration of Asian Americans and Asians here, and I'm Korean. So um, I took a special interest in the Korean American um, kind of cohort of buyers and sellers. You know, I really focused a lot of my energies 
in being part of that community and making and developing those relationships. Um, so it was a really uh, fun way and a way to be a part of my community and give back to the community while also creating a sustainable business. You know, I started in 2003, um, the real estate business. So it was a really cool way for me to get into it and feel like I was contributing and helping my community as well as obviously making money and creating a business too. And, and the Asian American community is is one that uh, I certainly have followed very well. I am very involved with Aria, as I think you know. Yeah. I'm the mm -hmm. global chair of their corporate board, and uh, yeah. and I was actually going to be their co-chair for the Global Luxury Summit until it got That's canceled awesome. because of the I coronavirus. Know. I saw that. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's funny that you mentioned that because. Back in 2010, I had gone to my first, actually it was 2009, I went to my first kind of ARIA summit in Vegas and it was really small and now it's just huge, right? It's amazing. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, uh, Meta, Jim Park. And I was like, hey, my Korean brother, right? <laughs> right, right. Get me in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, Why is there not an ARIA in Silicon Valley? Um, you know, I'm like, there are so many Asians here. And I know that even the founding fathers like Alan Okamoto and John Wong, and they're in San Francisco. I'm like, I don't know who they are. Like, why isn't there an, an ARIA here? So I actually got together with a few of my like work colleagues down in the South Bay. And we started the, the I was the founding president of ARIA, Nash, or ARIA Silicon Valley. I did. And, that. yeah, That's great. Crazy. And it was like, you know, we weren't like, I don't know how to start this thing right I'm like, okay, what do I do like do we have parties how do I get people going so it was a really fun experience but then it just like blew up obviously right because there's so many Asian American real estate professionals in the Bay Area so it was that and then the Peninsula one started and now they call it the San Francisco chapter and you know there's a lot of my you know OG founding uh, board members are still a part of it now. So that was actually an incredible way to, to give back to the community too, but also get my feet wet in a completely different side of the business. I mean, we can talk about it later, but that's when I yeah. actually was exposed to REO. That was back when REOs were, you know, crazy all over the country, you know, the, the whole um, market crash in 07, 08. And then you know, the aftermath of that with short sales and REOs was just like super intense in 2009 through probably 2012 for us. So um, it was quite a dive into the Asian American home ownership kind of battles that we faced. I had no clue, you know, because I'm sitting here trying to sell like $800,000 condos, right? And then suddenly the market just like takes a dive and I was, my eyes were just opened up to a whole new world of home ownership kind of challenges versus, you know, the upside that I was seeing here in Silicon Valley. And the methodologies of doing that also. So oh you're, my God, it yeah. was insane. I had no clue. I had no clue what I was doing. I was approached that, you know, by just a friend who's like, um, have you ever done um, di asset disposition? I'm like, uh, you mean selling a home? <laughs> and, so, and she's like, yes, for a bank, right? Yes, and I'm like, well, I've done, I've just, I don't know if I've disposed of an asset, but yeah, um, and they're like, all right, you have to follow all these things. And you know, oh my God, it's like a completely different ball Skill game. set. 
yeah. yeah and skill set and you know we were no longer going into people's homes and be like oh you have such a great kitchen it was more like how do we clean up your junk and get it out and it was just really crazy um to get thrown into that just by chance and experience that you know you know talk about lessons learned right oh, absolutely of, like, through throughout a career it's like real estate has so many different facets and it was just so it was insane um and it was such a learning experience too uh, let me back up a little bit uh so <laughs> you guys know it's absolutely great are you kidding you absolutely you graduated from northwestern so you're a very smart individual well, how did you even get involved in this industry <laughs> i know like probably just like like just fell off the floor when i told them i was switching to that but so yeah, I mean, out of Northwestern, I was in their marketing communications program. You know, they have like an incredible uh, program for that. And I went into advertising. That was my, that was my dream. I wanted to be an ad exec. You know, I was, you know, always working at like Warner Brothers and MTVs on their media and, you know, all that stuff when I was interning during college. So my trajectory, I thought was really, really clear. So, you know, I'm sitting here in, I moved to the Bay Area, I get a job at one of my favorite ad agencies, but Conan Building, and they're no longer, they like, I think they, sh they closed down a long time ago or merged with somebody. Um, and then I, you know, went to tech because I was in the tech, you know, center of the world. And I was sitting at my advertising and marketing job. And at the time it was at Cisco Systems after my ad agency job. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this isn't fun. I'm not having fun. You know, it was easy <laughs> I could do it, but you know, it was marketing for routers and switches, right? I yeah. succumbed to that. Like before it was very cool. I was going to all the parties and, you know, doing stuff for TV and, you know, I had Levi's as a client and all these cool things. But um, when I moved over to tech, it was a little bit different. And I was like, okay, this, this kind of marketing is really different. So I actually really stumbled onto real estate. Um, and it was funny, I was watching one of those get rich quick TV ads, like, I think, you know, it was like Tommy Vu or somebody like that, right? I was like, oh my God, it's so lame, right? Or Carlton Sheets. Like, All right, I want to go check this out. I, and I wanted, I went to one of those free, like, seminars where they suck you in to buy right. their coaching and all their tapes and stuff. And I dragged my girlfriend and we went and she's like, this is crazy. And I'm like, I know this is insane. I'm going to do this myself. I can invest in real estate. I need a side hustle or a side gig. There was no hustle back then. Um, <laughs> and, um, that was the main hustle. <laughs> there was no such thing. But you know, it's so crazy that I went and I was like, all right, I have this home equity line. That's back in the day when they were giving away like money for free. And they're right. giving the home equity with your first, you know, without on a hundred percent financing. So, um, so yeah, I took my home equity line check and I made an offer blindly in some crazy podunk. Um, that's a terrible thing to say. We should <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on. It's all, it's just you and I, no one else is yeah. listening. <laughs> I'm not even going to say where. And okay, good. Four little houses um, that I still own today, 
And I'm wow. like, oh my God, I'm a real estate investor. And I was like, that was so easy. And okay, that was me not knowing anything. And it's to this day, they're probably the biggest lessons that, that I've learned because I lost so much money on those four properties. Um, but it was like the greatest lesson and the worst move that I could have ever made. But um, <laughs> it totally uh, catapulted me into real estate. And so I thought I was doing really well. And then so I called my realtor because I bought a town home maybe a year before that while I was at Cisco. And, you know, I just got on the a phone and I'm like, oh, um, can you send me hot deals when they come across? You know, and that's like the one call that every realtor hates to get, right? Of course. Found that out later when I became one, right? But, uh, <laughs> but the crazy and cool thing was, is my realtor, he flipped it on me and he must have known, but he flipped it on me and he's like, well, Christine, why don't you come to my office? And it was a Century 21 office, actually, is where I first started. And he's like, why don't you come to my office? You can use my MLS. But at the time, I also had a license because, you know, in one of those books, it said, maybe go get a license that might be good for you for tax reasons. So I had this license. I didn't know what to do with it. He's like, you should just hang it here because, you know, you need to hang it. And why don't you use my MLS for now? And I'll send you even some buyers if you want. Um, and you can make some money on this side. And he totally flipped it on me. And that's not what I wanted to do, right? Um, I'm like, okay, well, if I can find deals that way, then of course, then, then I'm a real investor. And that's how I got started. He actually sent me my first deal. It was some buyer he didn't want to work with. And the buyer actually ended up being um, my neighbor who lived above me in my town. It was like, it, it doesn't even sound real, but it's totally true. And that's how I got started. And, <laughs> I love this. Yeah, it's crazy. And I was working at Cisco still and I was like, okay, I'll just do this on the side. And that's like also, and I, I don't knock part-time agents, but back back then I was like, I'm going to be this part-time agent. When I look at it now, I'm like, there's no way you can be a part-time agent, but somehow I did it. Um, and then I quit my job finally because I was started to make more money as a real estate agent, kind of connecting with my friends um, than I was when I was working at Cisco. And I was like 27 or six at the time. So 26 or seven. So it was, it seemed to me like this was a slam dunk. I can do this forever. I am loving this story. This is a fantastic <laughs> story. I wasn't expecting that at all. This is a great story. I love this. I, I should have the better story. Like, oh, girl, Are I you kidding? This is a that. great story. <laughs> So I will say that I never had a love of, of houses. You know how they're, you know, that's one thing that people always ask me like, oh, you must love housing. You must love product. And, you know, I never had the love of houses. I had that. I always got the exhilaration from, you know, getting people what they wanted and finding that and, and really the, the negotiation of the, of the transaction love the fact that here you are with maybe some I'll, I'll put a different color to it you couldn't sleep it's three in the morning you watch an infomercial you go to something <laughs> with your with your friend and it's like well this guy is you know like full of garbage but i sort of like the industry i'm going to just jump in myself <laughs> so crazy and you know i think you know, i think if so the first thing was oh gosh you know get rich quick i got sucked in i'm like such a sucker for marketing even though i'm you know, you're the marketer. marketer. <laughs> but, 
like, oh, okay, this is cool. But uh, no, yeah, so that's how it started. It's, it's a crazy story. You go from that to being one of the very few female CEOs in our industry and one of the extremely few Asian American CEOs, female in our industries. What is it that, you know, there are challenges that you had faced for you to reach your, your level of success. Can you share some of that with me? Gosh, you know, there's a lot. Um, and I think just as a, as a woman, as an Asian American woman, I think they're different. Um, uh, there's just not a lot of us out there. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's obviously the blaring, you know, issue that a lot of all of the things that you see in media or just in general, that that's an obvious issue. I think it's also the fact that there's so much that's done that I've seen and even learned in the past you know, few years in management is that there's still so much done by relationship yep. and um, like who, you know, and kind of executing. And so I think that, um, I think that's still a huge challenge and it was a challenge for me. And as much as I would like to say, you know, I've had so many female mentors or people that I've worked with, I've actually worked with a lot more males. And so I just think that, um, you know, we just have to embrace the fact that, you know, we can't be angry at the fact that there's not a lot of women CEOs that are, uh, you know, available and accessible. But, you know, how do we work with the people who are willing to, you know, give women a shot or, you know, and it's not like, oh, I support women and I know this person will give me a shot. It's more of like, if you intuitively just know who you're going to work really well with. And I think it's about choosing the right person to do that with. I think that's a beautiful answer. And, you know, you mentioned mentorship and I know now that really work really well with mentoring others and giving back with others. Can you share a little bit about that with me? Yeah, totally. So um, one of my my early kind of, um, I don't know, features that I had in my career was 30 Under 30, yep. the Realtor Magazine 30 Under 30. I'm super OG. I think it was like in 2006. And I think you know, they just announced their new batch of winners this year and it's, it's 2020. But um, so I mentor and I love to mentor people from um, from that group. Um, and that's just for, for on a nationwide basis. But I also find a lot of joy in just mentoring the agents that I've worked with over you know the past 15 years and just finding new ways to help agents be successful. And um, there's always people that gravitate towards you that you gravitate to as well. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things for me that I find in, immense joy in because I learned so much from from the people that I mentor. So I don't even know if it's really a mentorship because it kind of goes both ways. Um, and the business has just changed so dramatically. It's also my way of, of being able to stay fresh and current on what's happening out there. Um, you know, I haven't sold in maybe three years actively, you know, I'll do one here and there or do it be involved in a referral um, transaction. But um, it's just really crazy how things have have evolved over the last 15 years and to be able to mentor someone who is in it and um, you know obviously I'm hoping that I can impart some wisdom but at the same time I, I just gained so much from hearing about what their experiences are. Um, in you know I think that makes the greatest mentors when you actually are willing to be the mentee of that relationship. Yeah. 
exactly. and to learn from it. I think that's yeah. really a special thing. Yeah, and then you know one of the one of the mentor mentees that I have and is her she's just recently a thirty under thirty winner last year. Wow! And her name's Jing Fang, and you know we're really good friends now because we just spend so much time together. And the way that she does business is so different. And um, you know she's a female, she's young Asian American, or she's actually Chinese American. Um, and it's like, wow, the world has changed in terms of lead generation, prospecting, you know, relationship building, all that stuff. So it's, it's been really fascinating to hear her journey and, and watch her through that, too. I love that because it's full circle for you, isn't it? You did yeah. the 30 under 30 and now here's yeah. your man. Exactly. I love that. That's a beautiful thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Christine, yeah. I've done a little bit of research on you. Oh, and no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know that you are an award-winning pianist. Oh, and my gosh. It's, it's so true. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's bad when we share mutual friends, right? Uh, it is. It is. I know, especially when I'm, like, so not good at playing piano anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that's, that's sort of like, I'm sure you're being very humble, but that takes a lot of yeah now in your life um you know i it's interesting because i hated the piano when i was forced to play it you know my mom's dream was always she wanted a trio so my sister is a violinist my wow yeah i have two sisters and me. So my older sister is actually a professional violinist. My younger sister is a vocalist, but back in the day, um, she played the cello. So my mom wanted a cello, violin, cello, or sorry, violin, piano, cello. She wanted a trio. And so we were all forced, I say forced, but- Harmonic. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Exactly. And so, you know, we were all forced, but now I'm grateful. We were all, we all played. And we actually all played multiple instruments. So, um, you know, what it taught me and what I will be forever grateful for to this day is that it's practice. Like it's the discipline and practice that you learn playing an instrument um, at that level. I mean, we were competing starting from like fifth grade. There's, there is a competition for everything. There's a Bach competition, a Mozart competition, Chopin competition, every competition you can think of. And so um, it got us so disciplined um, because I personally was not like a natural musician where I picked up the piano and just started playing things, you know, by ear, no chance for me. Um, I was one of those who had to just practice and repeat and repeat and repeat. Um, so it really taught me discipline. And the crazier thing that I really feel that has carried over to my adult life is, uh, performance. And so it's just a different type of pressure that you face when you have to memorize a sonata or a concerto or something. And it's usually, and do a recital. And a recital is usually not just one song, it's like six, right? And so you have to play this in front of people. And of course it was like church people, right? Right, of course. <laughs> it's insane, uh, the, the type of nerves that you face. And that's really carried over for me as an experience that's really helped me whether it be you know speaking or being in a listing presentation back in the day i mean each thing you do in in real estate is like a performance right Absolutely. so um that's something that's definitely carried over for me and 
I will, like I said, forever be grateful to the point where I am now considering maybe buying an ADA key little keyboard in oh. my house because I don't have a piano. <laughs> Circle moment. <laughs> exactly, exactly. My mother would be so happy. <laughs> I you know, because <laughs> I'll keep this. It's um, it's so funny because you were sort of thinking about it as a performance, and I spoke to a good friend of mine. I did a podcast with him recently, and he's one of the top LA market, and oh, cool. he actually was a top talent agent first. Oh, and he came in and uh, came into the real estate industry and saw it as show business and so for him he says to me a showing is a performance for me so when i show a 10 million dollar house it's a show and my audience member is the buyer or the prospect coming in and so i come in and i make sure that the music is on the candles are on the lights are dimmed that it is an environment that the stage is set and it totally. was to me, it was so interesting to sort of analogy of the showing being the show. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so it was yeah, interesting that you use that same analogy. It, it is true. And I wish, you know, I, I could, I wish I knew or kind of had that, I don't know, epiphany earlier on in my career, because I think I probably could have done even more things. Um, but, you know, it's something that I recently kind of realized looking back and reflecting at, th at that question really is like, okay, you know, well, first of all, it's because my parents are like, why don't you play the piano anymore? And I'm like, oh, I've been scarred for life by what you've made me do. <laughs> but then I realized, no, that's not true. I love music. I can listen to classical music all day long. And yeah, it's true. It's really the performance because it's just you get up there and it's a different type of thing. And I was like, gosh, I yep. feel the same way when I was at listing presentations and just like, you know, your other guests had mentioned it, everything is when you were just showing, right. When you're showing a building, you're not going to show, you're going to show things in a certain order and it's all very orchestrated. So it really is. It's amazing. I love that because I think that for those listeners that see it in that way, it mm -hmm. makes it yourself in the marketplace because you understand it in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 100%. interesting. Mm -hmm. So Christine, what's the greatest lesson you've ever learned from one of your failures? Oh, Just throw God. that in there, sort of like, oh, you know, God. I like that. Yeah, you were a little bit off guard, so I'll throw a big question out to you. <laughs> you know, I will say that um, the biggest lesson that I've learned, honestly, and it's, I don't know if it sounds cheesy, but you know, I just realized that, you know, you just can never assume certain things are going to go a certain way for you. Mm. So, um, you know, I feel like that kind of lesson is always kind of permeates through our life in different ways. But, um, you know, with, I had an independent brokerage and, um, and that was during the whole uh, REO kind of mortgage crisis time back in 2010, 2000, 2009, 10 is when I started it. And the biggest lesson was like, I was assuming that, you know, things were just gonna be really simple. Um, my business was really strong. Um, before I left, um, I was at Intero before I went to uh, start my own brokerage. 
And I just really thought that, and I assumed that everything was just going to follow. Everyone was going to follow me. All my clients were going to follow me. Um, the agents who I thought were going to come with me immediately, um, you know, it didn't happen that way. I just assumed right. too much. And, uh, you know, I, but I wasn't a complete newbie to the business. I had been in it like seven, six, seven years by that time. So I just had no idea how difficult it was going to be. And it was a huge lesson that I always kind of now process and think about before I do anything new is to just make sure and kind of go back and review like what things am I assuming are going to happen may, that, that may not happen the way that I think will. So you know, it's um, always like I'm a huge proponent of having every agent, no matter where you are in the industry, to create their own business plan, right? Yeah, and exactly. it's the idea of, am I prepared for it? Exactly. And of course, you cannot, you know, you're not going to be able to predict every outcome. Of and course. there's always those times, right? You're like, holy cow, I did not think that was going to happen. Right. Like um, coronavirus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, right? So it's just, you know, <laughs> but, you know there, there's a difference between predicting what you think is going to happen versus assuming. And I think that is a key thing to always remember because where I see myself, you know, falter, even to this day, right? It's like, dang it, why did I think that that was like the only way that it was going to happen, right? And I see it with my agents too that I've worked with now and in the past like you know there's so many assumptions that you make that <clears throat> can either hinder you um, sometimes it can help you too but for the most part it's just like gosh I, why did I assume that and if you just take the time to just even five minutes I'm like okay is that an assumption that I'm making that you know so-and-so is going to do this or you know my best friend is going to buy a house with me and then she goes and buys somebody else. <laughs> right with somebody else right exactly <laughs> Yeah, so it's just those types of things that I found, and I really, it just really hit hard the hardest for me when I started my own company, my own brokerage. And so that's a great lesson, actually, when you start thinking about that. And I think that that's a lesson that anyone can take away from this is the fact of of, of preparation, having yeah. assumptions be done, and things of that nature. Um, but let's talk about Climb for a minute. It was yeah. a wonderful, wonderful boutique firm, which really yeah. um, you led and you had a lot of uh, great success in, in Silicon Valley and San Francisco. Yeah. And it was amazing, amazing brand. You also had Climb Labs, which was a tech yeah. incubator. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was, it was a great, great company. Um, and so tell me a little bit about the Climb about Climb Labs and, and yeah. technology in general and what you sort of Definitely. see as, as next steps in the industry. Absolutely. A lot of questions in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, I will have to give credit to Climb and the incredible brand um, that was created to the founders, um, Chris Lim, Mark Choi, and Tiffany Combs. I mean, it was an incredible brand. I, I've known those guys for a long time, and so I saw it from its inception um, I've known Chris and Mark since like 2005. So it was wow. back when they were, you know, doing their own thing within another brand. So um, it was, it's an incredible, incredible brand that was built um, all based on collaboration, technology, and true collaboration, not just kind of, you know, using the buzzword. 
Um, but it was with, you know, things that they shared with each other, with other agents, um, is made it really, really special. And Climb Labs was one of those things. Um, so Climb Labs is a tech incubator for real estate products. And it was brilliant because one of the craziest things for agents um, is to really try to sift through all the technology that's being thrown at them, all the tools, marketing services, lead generation services, and really trying to understand what really works the best for that agent. And, you know, as an agent myself in the past, you know, buying something and then just like not using it was so common or spending all this money and realizing that it actually doesn't work for your business model was another issue. So Client Labs was really there to to test products out, to be that incubator and, and trying out products within the real estate space and seeing how it actually fit into the agent's journey. So, I mean, obviously it was great because then Climb could take those products that really worked well, beta test them with, you know, active agents, with an active agent base and really try to figure out if it makes sense. And so, you know, from that came so many cool different products that really did well in the space, like Open Home Pro, um, Roomy that people use right now. Absolutely. I mean, was, yeah, it was all kind of, we beta tested all of those products and, you know, plus, oh, like I want to say hundreds more. And, um, you know, that was really something that helped us as a company, helped our agents and also helped the, the real estate tech companies really iron out what worked and what didn't. Because a lot of the times the tech companies don't really understand the actual journey and the agent has so many different ones, their own journey as an agent, ones with a buyer and ones with the sellers. Um, so it's just completely different. And because agents do business so differently, it was just a great way. I mean, incubators, the, the great word, right? To really incubate, beta test, work out the kinks or just say, sorry, but this is really not going to work for any of our agents um, and probably not a lot of agents in the country. So it was a really cool thing. And, and now as technology starts to shift a lot, um, it's, it's really changed the business model for real estate agents as well in terms of how they generate business. And so, um, you know, I definitely see um, the next wave is happening, right? And I think this coronavirus is actually going to just catapult some of these businesses that were, you know, highly, highly dependent on agents being virtual um, and artificial intelligence and virtual showings and all these things that have been kind of in like, I call it like tech purgatory because they're kind of just kind of hanging out. They're not dying, but they're not going anywhere because people are just so used to doing what they know. But um, I think AI and virtual staging is going to be huge. I mean, we've been proponents of that for a long time, but I think it's just going to go to another level um, one of the big things I see, I mean, not only for real estate, but real estate design is, have you seen Modsy, M-O-D-S-Y? Yeah, I sure have. So that's been an interesting thing um, that I think is really going to just, that's going to go to another level with retailers and all the different um, products that you can swap out and easily kind of use. And for agents, it's huge, right? Because you go on showings and you know, you can, the, the buyers or sellers are, or the buyers are like, I can't see my, my property in this light. So I really think AI virtual staging and um, just online lead generation is going to be taken to the next level. 
You know, and, and I just want to go back to something you were saying earlier with um, with Climb as a little bit of a of a shout out because um, obviously Chris is a good friend and Mark yeah. know as well. And it's um, it's something that you said, which I think was really beautiful. It was that it really was done in a spirit of collaboration. And I think that that is so three of you together, you sort of, you know, it, it, it feels as though you're all part of the same family. And yeah, it, it was so beautiful to, to witness that. And I think that was a great, and I know I'm actually interviewing both Chris and Mark separately as guests on this okay. podcast. I'm doing okay. Mark next <laughs> next week. Yeah. And I know that Mark has a great new venture with one of the tech companies that, I, you know, that probably came out of your lab that it, it now he's going to be actually. running. It did. So we actually, uh, you know, I can probably give you a sneak preview to it. It's called High Note. And we actually wow. did incubate that in Climb Labs. Um, and actually, I, I'm working with him on, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, we can take our learnings from Climb and, and into High Note. So um, I love that. things like that, that and I'll, I'll let you guys have fun with that one next week. But it is things like that, that you'll see just really fits into how agents operate and then it also what I think is really cool about Climb was that we also took the the customer into consideration too so um I, you know I know that in in a lot of different businesses and spaces you have to pick pick a lane right. but um in, in this particular case it, it helps everyone involved in the transaction and think about that true sense of the fact of your incubator if you will where your founder of climb is now going to be the founder of one of these tech companies that's really exactly. a full circle again we've done a lot it's of full really circles is. on this call <laughs> great <laughs> i know this is like an amazing therapy session because <laughs> this is therapy now i can close my circle this is good this <laughs> I have, a, I have a final question for you. Sure. If you were not doing real estate, what would Christine be doing? Oh, my goodness. Besides well, playing you know, the piano, I'm mother happy. I wish I could <laughs> play the piano. Well, you know, maybe this is another full circle thing because I, I should be, get, I want to get a keyboard and play some piano. You know, it's funny because I ask myself this all the time because, you know, there's that old, that question, like, what do you want? What do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do with your life? Um, and quite honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, but, uh, I honestly think that I want to be a nurse and, um, and it's not like the cheesy, well, yes, it is helping people or whatnot, but like, you know, I feel like being in the medical profession or being something like a nurse who's always like triaging things. Um, and it's something that you can do and take for the rest of your life and you can constantly be of service and, and help people. But, you know, it's just one of those things, like, I, I've always wanted to, if I wasn't in this business, and, um, and I could just do anything I wanted, I think I would become a nurse. If not, I think it would be something in fashion. But, <laughs> but a fashionable I'm nurse, sorry, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> love both of those things <laughs> <laughs> maybe i can make nurses scrubs fashionable i listen i and that sounds like it's another for you in your spare time yes <laughs> oh christine you've been such a delight this has been so much fun thank oh, you for the time today sure no problem thank this you has been 
and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person so that we can actually get a drink together finally once the world opens up again. Uh, but it's so. been such a delight. You've been so yes. much fun. Thank you for being on the show. For everyone to be safe and healthy out there. Thanks. Indeed. And thank you for all of you for joining. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thank you very much.